Hello and welcome to another coronavirus special episode of Freelance Party Broadcast. Today, Jess and I Hiya. are again recording from our houses. So Jess, how are you getting on in isolation? You know what? I've probably found today the hardest of any day so far. I just, I feel so lonely. Like, I just don't have you across the desk talking to me all day and stuff. And I really miss it. <laughs> how are you getting on? I never thought I'd hear the day that Jess said that she misses the sound of my voice because she usually makes me be quiet during the day. Yeah, I normally put my earphones in to stop you distracting me, but I do actually miss it now. But maybe in half an hour, I feel a bit differently. (laughs) (laughs) How are you getting on? I'm missing our conversations and I'm missing our coffee catch-ups, but hopefully this all blows over quickly so that we can have our coffee and catch-ups soon. (laughs) Uh, Well, today we're also joined by Alison Grade, who's just released her book, The Freelance Bible. So it's safe to say she knows what she's talking about. Um, Alison, you do so much more. How did you get the idea to write this book? Hi, guys. Yeah, it's great to be joining you remotely as well today from our isolation cells. So I got the idea to write the book. It it was quite a fascinating journey because I've done a lot of work in the past with creative entrepreneurs and people starting creative businesses. I've run my own businesses. I've been to INSEAD and I've got an MBA and I've worked in lots and lots of small TV production companies. So I've seen lots and lots of entrepreneurial activity done it myself. And so as my career progressed, I, I kind of realized that what, what I brought to the table was somebody who transforms creative ideas into a business reality. And so by doing that, I've done a lot of work with university programs for creative entrepreneurs, people starting businesses and a lot of workshops and mentoring. And one of the mentoring programs I was on, I met the Uh, a writer who was looking to develop his business and develop his work outside of writing and running workshops and and building up a a range of clients. And at our first meeting, he said to me, so, you know, what what are you going to write? What book are you going to write? And I I gave him that sort of look of absolute horror and over my dead body, am I ever going to write a book? And said, no, we're here to talk about you, not about me. But that sort of stuck with me a bit. And then I was doing an employability project for a university near me about what they they were doing for their students and what offer was there for employability for students. And I came away from the meetings across all of the art, design and media faculty thinking, you know, I've got great information for my report. That's fantastic. But actually, what was the university doing for it it had a career service for students who were going to get a job it had an enterprise department for entrepreneurial students but actually my experience was that 50% nearly of the students when you look at creative industries federation reports are going to go into a freelance occupation so you've got 50% of students pretty much heading into freelancing who's who's helping the students in the university the career service is not going to be the best place because they understand jobs not freelancing And freelancers don't tend to identify as entrepreneurs per se. So that really left them with the course tutors who quite often would be in that salaried position as a tutor because they didn't actually want to be being freelance. So there wasn't that much advice going on in the universities. And then I looked around to say, well, what what literature is there anyway? And it basically became, well, actually, there isn't that much literature. And I thought, well, hang on a minute, I know about this space. I've been a freelancer most of my career. I've worked with freelancers. I've hired them. I understand creative businesses, all of that. So why don't I try and write the book? Um, So I kind of did. And I went back to my mentee, William, who had challenged me with what I was going to write. And I said, I I think I've got the idea now. I think I'm going to do this. And obviously, he took the piss quite massively because I'd given him that look of horror. And then so I just took it upon myself to write it. I found myself with a quiet period, having done the classic freelance thing, which I tell everyone not to do, which is I'd just come off a really busy project. 
and I hadn't looked for more work to follow it. So I had nothing in the diary. So I was like, okay, this is an opportunity to try and write the book. And over a period of about 18 months, basically, I took it upon myself to write it. And I got to a point where I had a draft that I was happy with. At that point, I showed it to my husband. And then I left the house for about two days while he read it because I couldn't be in the same house as him. Because it was really personal. I didn't know. I didn't know if I could write. I didn't know if I could write a book. I didn't know if I'd have the discipline. I didn't know any of these things. So, so I did. And then I got some really good feedback through Sean, my husband, through William, through friends and family, and pulled that together. And then I had a draft that I was happy with. And I thought, right, okay, let's let's try and find a publisher. And so I went on the, oh, how do you find a publisher journey? Let's do some research. Okay. Oh, look, you have to write a proposal. 24 pages later, I've got a proposal, pitched out some publishers, did that, got a bit bored waiting for replies from people I didn't know. So I thought, who do I know in my networks? How do I leverage my networks? That's what I've been telling these freelancers in this book. How do I leverage my networks? Oh, look, there's a friend of mine from university who I'm going to a drinks party with in a couple of weeks. She works in publishing. Let me pitch it to her. So I did. And then she actually introduced me to the team at Penguin, which was amazing. And then the rest, as they say, is um, history and a book that's now published. So <laughs> it was quite a mad journey and quite unexpected um, over about three years. That is an amazing story. I love that. I like that you use the advice that you were giving to others um, about using your network and stuff. I was a student and a freelancer or wanted to be a freelancer, more kind of getting stuff that wasn't being paid, but really wanted to be a freelancer. And yeah, I didn't get that kind of help from lecturers that you do get if you want to apply for a job, but they're brilliant at telling you how to speak in interviews and stuff like that, but not how to pitch to places and stuff like that. So I think that's a really cool journey. Fantastic. Thank you. For many freelancers, this time feels particularly hard because they can't earn any money, but there are other ways to make this time more useful. So how can freelancers make this time as productive as possible in a business sense, other than reading your book, of course? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's a really important question because we've been in, you know, it we've been in panic mode for a while and, and, and that kind of stuff. But actually, we're here for a reasonably long haul. We don't know how long it's going to be, but we, we need to find positive things that are proactive and productive that, that we can do to help ourselves be ready when we come out of it. So I think I think that's a really good question. Um, for me, I mean, I think some of it will depend like exactly what is going on in your sector, because it will be quite sector specific, because obviously, there's some sectors where you could be freelance, you could be super busy, because actually, there's added work, because you're a key worker, all of that kind of stuff. So you've got some sectors that are super, super busy, you've got other sectors, which are trying to be business as usual, but it's not completely working. And they're just trying to work out what business as usual means at this point. And then you've got other sectors and particularly entertainment and leisure and hospitality, which are completely in hibernation. So I think you have to identify like which sector you predominantly work in to help work out how you take that forwards. But assuming your your work, I think the hardest place to be is though that sector where it's in hibernation. So if we look at that in more detail, I think the rest sort of filters down but if you really haven't got those usual clients you have to start thinking about how you can work out what you do and how well you can do it and how you know I mean I guess I'd start off by asking people are you actually happy with the work that you've been doing do you actually really enjoy it is it what you really want to be doing is there something you'd rather be doing because this is a point where you can think about like reinventing yourself or 
really looking, you know, maybe you've just been doing something you're not that interested in, but you've got a side hustle that you want to build. Now's a great time to work on those side hustles. What what other talents do you have? And a lot of that for me comes down to what I what I use in the book as a skills audit, where you look at your hard skills, all those technical skills that you have to do your job, those soft skills, which are very much interpersonal communication, general kind of IT literacy, media literacy type skills. And then there's this really interesting space called other skills. And most people just think, oh, it's only the hard skills and the soft skills. But, you know, if we go back to the sort of university analogy, what's really interesting is when I talk to media students, particularly, they're all on the same degree and they're all looking to get jobs in media when they graduate. And they kind of almost identify as the same person because they've all done the same degree. So they don't really know how to position themselves differently and play to their strengths because they all see, well, I'm on this degree course and I'm getting this degree. So that's all I've got to offer. But actually what they've really got to offer is that person who speaks four languages because they grew up in another country and their parents are bilingual and da, da, da. You know, they're really valuable to productions that film internationally or co-productions with international companies in a way that the person who's really good at baking or cooking, they're going to be best positioned in like the Great British Menu or Bake Off because they've got added skills and knowledge and passion and interest in those areas. So those other skills are the things that make you you and the things that you love to do. And really, it's about trying to connect all of that up and thinking about who are the customers that would value my particular combination of skills in the same way that I get the media students to go, well, okay, position yourself to those companies. How does that, what does that mean for you as a freelancer? And how can you think about whether you've got those skills? And then as you work through a skills audit, you're looking at where are you now? Okay, so how good are your technical skills? How good are your soft skills? How, what are these other skills that you've got? And you start to rate yourself and look at that. And then you think, well, actually, where do I want to get to with this work that I'm doing? Where do I want to get to in two years, five years, whatever it might be? And, and what do the skills need to look like for me to get to that point? So now's the time to chart sort of where you are now and where you want to get to and start rating, well, how good are my skills? And get some corroboration from other people because quite often how we see ourselves and the things we take for granted in ourselves particularly are the things that other people value in us and we can't see them so you know i'm a very organized person and i if i say i'm going to get things done i get things done it's just like that's just how i operate but it's taken me a long time to realize actually that not everybody does that and it's a real valuable asset that i bring when people work with me is that they know where they stand they know they're going to get it it's going to be done in a certain time so What are those things that you just do naturally that you don't think about? And that's where that corroboration piece comes in with your friends, your family, you know, that kind of thing. So you can start to map out, okay, my skills are at this level and I want to get them to this level and I can track a pathway of things that I need to improve. So that's all so interesting. You know, we talk about training these soft skills, hard skills, other skills. Where can freelancers find this kind of training online at the moment? So I think. What I've seen certainly in the screen sector is a huge outpouring of support. BBC Screen Skills, who's the Learning and Skills Council, have come together and they're just people are piling in and say, I've got some expertise, I can offer this, and there's lots of free training. So that's screen particularly. 
But I think, you know, once you've identified what you need to learn, then you can go off and be strategic about finding that. And I know you guys at Freelance Corner have lots and lots of useful information and resources out there for people. But be strategic about what you need to know. It's always really, really tempting to try and get better at the things you're already good at. It's, re- it's human nature. Like the old coat is the most comfortable. So it's like, hey, I'm really good at Excel and there's lots of bits I still don't know. So I'm going to go and learn even more about that. But actually, if what you're not so good at is selling, then do something around that. So really, it's asking yourself those difficult questions about what can I do to improve my business? And if I can improve my business, improving the not so good rather than the good is going to take everything up a level. So I really encourage people to ask themselves those difficult questions about what bits aren't really going so well and improve those. Yeah. Are there any skills that you find that freelance in general don't have or areas that most people could probably do with some training on? Yeah. In terms of what sort of training, I think I find that it's really easy as a freelancer to be really good at explaining to customers what you do. This is what I do. And that's all well and good because that's a really important part of your technical delivery of your skills. What I think people find a lot harder is to explain the value of their services to the client and why the client should buy their services. Let me let me give you an example. So a few years ago, I was running a workshop with a whole load of participants who were looking to start creative businesses. And there were two girls on there particularly who were looking to set up a company that sold video services into schools. And they'd got a number of meetings going with schools and they'd had some nice meetings and the school said, yes, your video services look great. That's all fantastic. But they hadn't converted any of their meetings into a sale and they were getting really frustrated. And the schools kept going back to say, it's really nice, but we just don't have a budget for video services. And I could sense their frustration. So we started to dig into it a bit deeper. And we, I said, well, so why, why are you so frustrated? Why do you think schools should buy these services? And suddenly the floodgates open and they start telling me, well, you know, of course, when you make videos with children, what have they got to do first? They've got to come up with ideas. So they've got to brainstorm. They've got to do some research to verify what they're going to need to do. So that involves literacy. Then they've got to write a script, more literacy. They've got to present it. It's confidence. It's teamwork. You know, all of this is all about enhancing their confidence, enhancing their literacy. So I said, okay, so you're not actually selling video workshops to schools. You're actually selling enhanced literacy to schools. That's what you're selling. You do it through the format of video workshops, but you're actually selling enhanced literacy. So now it's quite easy to go and say, well, actually, which schools in my local area are struggling with literacy? You can go on to Ofsted. You can say, oh, look, they got a really low mark on literacy. Let's ring them up. You can get a meeting. But much more importantly, the schools can identify how they can pay for it against the budget. Because if you're not doing well at literacy, you can then go, oh, I believe in these people. They can help me enhance the literacy. I've got a budget to enhance literacy. And suddenly they're making sales. And I think so many freelancers I talk to spend so much time thinking about what they do and the technicalities of how they deliver what they do that they forget to translate it when they're talking to the client in terms of what benefit it will be to the client. 
And that's when you can start changing the conversation and showing what value you add. That's the old classic marketing line of no one wants a quarter inch drill, they want a quarter inch hole in their wall. That kind of thing, isn't it? You know, you sell them the end product, not the process. I I think that's fascinating. And uh, we spoke a bit about your book and and how you got there. But to someone, I mean, I have a copy of your book and uh, (laughs) it's a genuine, I actually do. Um, So could you tell someone who's who's never read Freelance Bible, might not have seen it on the shelves yet, because it's only just been published, hasn't it? What do you go through in the book? What, you know, tell them about the chapters and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, it was published on the 5th of March. So just just before we all entered into lockdown. So it is available on the usual digital channel. So it's available on Kindle. And I actually got the opportunity to read the audiobook, which is amazing as well. So lots of different ways to access it. Oh, wow. So you can actually download it on as an audiobook now. You don't have to go and actually order a copy of it. Yeah, so you can, do, you can get a physical copy, you can get a Kindle copy, and it's on Audible and other players that do audiobooks. I bet you're pleased that you have all that in place now, because if it was just physical copies in a store, it would be a lot harder. <laughs> No, absolutely. Absolutely. So um, so in terms of the structure of the book, what I tried to do and what Penguin wanted, um, because when I submitted what the other funny bit about the proposal, when I submitted it to Penguin, which I didn't I didn't say earlier, was that I had it in a very different structure that was probably more related to the workshops that I'd been doing. And so I got this commission for this book and they wanted all the words, but in a different order. So I had to re- reorganize it. But really, we sort of I take people on a journey from, if you like, day one of being a freelancer. And whilst it is that sort of day one, it's accessible. I've written it to be accessible to those just starting out as freelancers and those who've been freelancers for a long time. But just taking people through that journey. What does it mean to be freelance? How do you find your freelance identity? What is the research that you need to do to understand who am I? What's my brand? How how, what is it that I do? What can I offer? Then we look at the money. You know, how much do I need to earn to live? What's realistic? What do I really need to earn? And then very importantly, how do I value myself? What is my value in the marketplace? Then we start to look at articulating your vision. So how do you present yourself to the marketplace? And that's really around the why me? Why are people buying me? What's my pitch? What am I going to say? And then it moves much more into that proactive, putting your plans into action. How do you get out there? How do you get your voice out there on different distribution channels? Who's in your network? How do you nurture and leverage your network? Because we've all got way more people in our networks than we think we do. Even when we're just starting out, we've still got way more people than we think. So how do you leverage that? Even if the people in your network are not going to be your direct customers, the chances are there are people in their networks who they can introduce you to. So how do you leverage that? And then it's all about that sales funnel and how do you turn your contacts into customers? What are the tips and techniques and strategies to do that? How? And then once you want winning your first customer, how do you close the deal? And um, my, my great mentor, Mike Southern, I don't know if you know him, he's written a fabulous book, The Beer Mat Entrepreneur. And I He's been my mentor on and off for about 20 years now. And I really respect the advice that he gives, which is around start with a small thing, sell somebody a small thing and test it out. And then you can sell them the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And I think particularly in these uncertain times, you know, a week is a long time ago at the moment. My headspace was completely different this time last week 
to this today. And I'm sure in a week's time, it'll be completely different again. So it's understanding that and reacting to that situation and just selling a small thing and then moving on and building up that long-term relationship with the customer. And then really a little bit about how you get yourself ready for work. You know, if you're going to be working from home, create that space where you can work, where you can go in and switch on to work and then switch off at the end. And I think, you know, we've all having a crash course in that at the moment, whether we're freelance or employees. So that finding that space to work in. And then I move into actually delivering the work, getting feedback, because feedback is really important. And freelancers can be quite scared to ask for feedback because you don't want to be told something didn't go well in case they then decide they don't want you again. So it can be quite hard. And then at the end, once it sort of takes you through one project journey, and then that last chapter is sort of pacing yourself for a marathon, because it is a marathon and not a sprint being a freelancer. And actually the different plates you spin and the different hats you have to wear to be the plates being all the different projects you're working on, the hats being, well, I'm the CEO, which direction do I want my freelancing operations to go? But I'm also the finance director and how am I going to get the money in and send the invoices out and who's going to schedule the work and who's going to do the marketing? So that sort of gives you a sense of it takes you on that journey of the freelancer. Yeah, I think that's the important thing, isn't it? You are every position in a company, but on your own. (laughs) So it's very much around I'm assuming that whoever's reading the book is really good at what they do as being a freelancer. And this is the wrapper that helps them be better at the whole package. So long term, do you think that freelancing will be significantly affected by this outbreak? That's a really interesting question. I think overall, I don't think anyone's not going to be affected by it. So absolutely, is freelancing going to be affected? Yes, it is equally as is business, as our employees. As freelancers, we're expected to plan for the unexpected. We can't plan for the unthinkable. And this is an unthinkable situation that we're in. We couldn't plan for that. And it's going to change how we look at the world and how we think about our finances. Because when the unthinkable happens, it rocks us to our core. So there's so many different scenarios going around with different freelancers concerned about what, how, how they're going to keep a roof over their head, how they're going to make ends meet, what government support is going to be out there, what isn't out there. So all of those questions are, are making us look at how we structure our freelance affairs in a different way. So I think those deep questions will be going on for quite a long time because it's an unthinkable The advice hasn't been out there to support people who found themselves outside of the system now through no fault of their own. And obviously that that could still change and there could be more support coming out and that kind of thing. But I think really as a freelancer, you know, you have to ask yourself, will there still be a need for people with specialist skills? Of course, there's still going to be a need for people with specialist skills. And that's a lot of the work that freelancers do. They have high-end specialist skills and companies can't afford to have them on their payroll the whole time. So I can't see that changing, if you like, that need for those short-term high-end specialist skills. Equally, a lot of freelance operations are, I need some extra capacity to help my business out at this busy time. That's another space that freelancers occupy. Again, they're not going to take somebody on the whole time to do that. So those kind of basic questions is, is there going to be freelancing still going on? I absolutely think there is. 
I think a lot of people are going to be looking at how they structure their freelance affairs and how secure in insecurity they feel, how they plan for the future, what that looks like. That kind of thinking will change. But the need for freelancing per se, I can't see it going away. I think the thing that I'm worried about is that people will have seen how the self-employed have been almost seen as a bit of a second thought at the minute from the government. And obviously the the protections for employees came significantly quicker than they did for self-employed people. I worry that people will see that. And then if they were considering freelancing, think one, no, because you don't get as much support. And two, actually, we're fairly likely to be heading into some sort of recession at the minute. Is it a good time to be off payroll? Yeah, I I hear you. But I also think that if we're organised as a group and we've shown that we have a voice as freelancers and we've come together and we've lobbied, I think part of the challenge for the self-employed and freelancers is we all work so individually that nobody, there's no one place that brings us together. So we've always struggled to lobby and to get our voice heard. So it's always been employees and businesses, and then the self-employed things just being stuck at the bottom of small businesses, and we'll just tack them on there. So I think the fact we have specific support package put into place is really, really important, because it recognises it as it's not employees, it's not business, there is this specific bit in the middle, which does need to be treated differently. I guess you you can slice and dice the, well, we're the second citizen, we are, our information's come out second. I think there's only a certain amount that the Treasury can get through in any one go as well. There's been a lot of conversations going on. It was relatively straightforward and easy for them to come up with something for employees. So I respect them for doing that drip feeding. And the, the stuff I'm seeing on Twitter at the moment says there are people who are still falling through the cracks. There will be more known when this when this comes out. But I know that there is more lobbying going on for people who are perceived to have been falling through the cracks. So it's just a waiting game and we just have to see. But it's like, I respect that they can only get a certain amount done and they are listening. So so the Chancellor said the other day that we're going to have that 95% of self-employed people will be protected by the latest announcement. But I just think, you know, that that 5% is still a massive number. And I do hope that lobbying continues. Um, I know Ipsy and FSB are kind of leading those lobbying movements. I just hope that we get to a point where there isn't anyone who is left significantly disadvantaged because of coronavirus. No, absolutely. And, And you're absolutely spot on. There seems to be a lot of conversation from quite a vocal set of people who are not picked up by the latest announcement. So, but as as they go further down, the situations get more complex as well. So you've just got to pick them off. But it sounds like there is some good work being done and some good lobbying being done. So let's keep our fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah, let's hope so. Um, unfortunately, that's all we've got time for this episode. You'll be able to find loads of information in the show notes below and on Freelance Corner. Thanks for listening to Freelance Party Broadcast. Join Freelance Corner, the online platform for the UK's freelancers at freelancecorner.co.uk. Subscribe on the Apple Podcast app, Spotify or on any other podcast platform. Please like, share and leave us a review. And let us know what we should quiz an expert on next time. Thanks so much, Alison. Nice to meet you. Bye.